Welcome to Brass Taxes. I'm Caroline Craighead. Here with me is Russ Garofalo. Hello. Can I tell you a story about what happened to me last week? Yes. Okay, so you know that the PPP, Paycheck Protection Program, uh, that they introduced, what, like 11 months ago now? Yeah, it was like February, March was the initial run, but it was really hard for self-employed people and it was really unclear. And there was only so much money and the big companies that were eligible who had a lot of resources in order to apply and apply quickly, they got their money and uh, people who maybe needed more help navigating the system or weren't big enough for their bank to pay attention to their application, uh, they didn't get a lot of the money that, that went out. Yeah. On that initial wave, I saw that anyone with an accounting department got their application in. And when they ran out of money, it was funny to realize I was late, like as a, as a finance company. I was like, oh, we don't have an accounting department. Like it was just waiting for me to find time to do it. Yeah. It definitely also seemed too, like I kept reading things that made it appear as though the rules weren't really figured out yet. And so I didn't even know what I was dealing with. And Yeah. yeah. So I didn't even apply in the first round, even though I have 1099 untaxed income. I also sometimes have W-2s. It just so happened that in 2019, I was on a W-2 that made me eligible for uh, unemployment. And I could discern that you can either get the PPP or you can get unemployment in that first period. And so I opted for unemployment, didn't even bother with the PPP because it was seemed way more complicated. And then there was the option that, so it's a loan, but it's a forgivable loan if you apply for forgiveness and you can demonstrate that you used the funds during the period of evaluation for the purposes that they explicitly said it's supposed to be used for. And in general terms, that's payroll. Yeah, it was payroll, rent, utilities. But it, yeah, it was much more vague for self-employed people. Right. Especially because like, yeah, if you don't have payroll as a self-employed person, it was like, well, what, <laughs> what's paying myself? And what they initially said was, we're going to calculate it best based on your net income from 2019. So if you have your 2019 tax return, you can show us you know, here's how much came in, here's the gross. And then at the end of my Schedule C, that's where all this is figured out. After you subtract the the expenses from the gross, that's the net that you're left over with. And that's what comes over to your 1040 and gets factored in with the rest of your income. And so it was like a, you divide the net by 12, you multiply it by 2.5. That's the, the loan amount that you're eligible for. The goal was to give businesses two and a half months of payroll roughly. But for self-employed people where it's usually just the self-employed person, it's like, well, that's also their money that they live off. So they were trying to figure out what's two and a half months of your net profit um, after expenses. But the lines are so much blurrier for self-employed people that it doesn't quite equate like that that's two and a half months is just what you lived off because some of your regular day-to-day expenses are partially business partially personal. And um, yeah, and the forgiveness was much more vague at the time because they were making up the rules, you know, to their own credit as they went. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't clear what forgiveness was going to look like. So people were left with the decision of like, am I going to take a loan I may have to pay back? Or is this a safety net? Which, yeah, this whole situation has brought up the lack of safety nets or programs to provide safety nets. Uh, in any clear, coherent manner. And it sounds like you've bumped into another of those foggy areas. Yeah. So I told you a little bit about this. I was 
so excited when they announced these new rules because it went from uh, I had netted in 2019 $20,000 on my Schedule C, but I had grossed $90,000. And so, so the profit was 20000 after expenses, but the amount of money that came in was 90000 and they switched which one you use to figure out your how much money can... I get from the PPP program. That's right. They said, instead of calculating the loan eligibility amount based on the net, we're going to calculate it on the gross. And so for me, that was a $70,000 difference. It really ballooned how much of a loan I was eligible for. Also, uh, they introduced an exclusivity window of February 24th, so last Wednesday, to March 9th. And they said, all these big businesses that have the accounting departments, because, you know, a small business is up to 500 employees, which doesn't sound small to me, but but that's what the SBA says. Yeah, no, this is a small business. So all of those larger companies that were getting bigger pieces of the pie and getting them sooner, they said, you have to wait until after March 9th. From February 24th to March 9th, only businesses with 20 employees or fewer are going to be eligible to apply. And so great. It meant that I, uh, first of all, the amount that I was eligible for jumped up and I had this window that I could apply in and get it done. Now you have to, the way that it works, these are, the loans are dispersed from the SBA, the Small Business Administration, but they go through lenders. So you have to have an account with a lender who's working with the SBA to dispense these loans, meaning I needed a business account. So I had to set up a business account <laughs> immediately, and I was patting myself on the back because I did that on Thursday. I like found a bank. I was like, here I am. I'm setting up an account. Boom, 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 going through all the stuff. It got approved. Like I got access on Friday morning, and I was like, let's do this loan. Let's bang it out. And within like three hours, I went through the application process, submitted. You have to show like here's my Schedule C from 2019. Here's an invoice from early 2020 showing that I was still a business that was in op- operation on February 15th, 2020, when they're saying this is when everything started to go haywire. So like show us that you were actually a business when when things got crazy. Um, One other thing I want to point out is it isn't just business. A lot of banks did the PPP loans, but there were also like some rando companies that people were emailing about to be like, is this a real company? Mm. Like they're just a bun- bunch of like money lenders for for businesses like Cabbage with a K and so there so just for anybody who's about to do this you don't have to have a business account like through Chase Wells Fargo whatever but um it's helpful uh i ended up doing mine through Chase but there are other uh companies that are offering these SBA loans mm. but uh yeah go on with your story of yeah I, <laughs> Yeah, I'll let you go. But like, I want to explain so much of this stuff is rolling out so slowly of how the rules work, um, how the loans work, how the forgiveness works. And so being the people that get asked for the answers and having to, (laughs) um, we've had like three or four PPP loan calculators that shifted um, because just the rules are changing. And yeah, it's been very like I, I think it's hard to grasp how much this is an evolving situation and mm. that um yeah, the rules are still changing. Some of the rules just changed in December and now rules are changing again for this new round of PPP loans. Right. Um so and this is all tied the reason why 
you know, rules are different now is because Congress, you know, uh, released new money. And so it's like, okay, great. Now there's new money that can be gotten and we are going to address the issues that came up last time by introducing this exclusivity window and by being more generous with self-employed people where you can calculate it on the gross. So, uh, and yeah, like I thought I knew enough. I was reading a ton, (laughs) as I will do, to be like, is this right? You know, what are the rules? What do I need to know? Thought I was on top of it. Got my application in by the end of the day Friday, like literally like sat back in my hammock and was like, I'm a king of the world. And then you sent me this thing that you were like, here's some more information. I'm reading through this 60 page like, you know, uh, slide deck about, you know, what to know about the PPP rules. And it's like, and then next week, they're expected to introduce the new rules where it adjusts how much the loan is calculated based on. And I was like, what do you mean next week? This week is when the exclusivity thing starts. And then I'm reading into it more. And sure as shit, they staggered the exclusivity window, you know, the one that's just these two weeks starting on on February 24th. They staggered that and the implementation of the new rules. So it's a week later that they're going to start calculating it based on that higher number for self-employed people. Meaning the gross rather than the net? Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> it's so it's so weird and it's dumb to a point of like are they going to change that? Like it's 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 so strange to see a bureaucratic system evolving so quickly mm. that yeah, when I saw it, it was like, oh, they've already started accepting applications. And then a weekend, they're going to significantly change what the results are of those changes. Yeah. You know, it's it's so crazy where I'm like, this is so dumb. They're going to, are they going to fix that? Like, you've done hundreds of tax returns. You're not scared of this stuff. You feel very comfortable with it. You did a bunch of reading. And to still not know, like, oh, you didn't read the 9 a.m. digest of PPP loan version three. Right. Oh, you missed out on a huge update. Like, like it's just the, the evolving saga of understanding this stuff and being able to navigate it is just is so such a barrier to entry that it it yeah it just feels insane that like yeah because like we're not we're not scared of this stuff and still struggling right but also like you know it's no small thing the amount of time it takes to do this yeah just the the likelihood of just getting stuck and being like I can't do this now either I have to make dinner or you know, kid needs help with school or I have to go to work or, you know, there's so many things that get in the way of mm-hmm. of being like, I don't know if this is going to pan out anyway. So how much time am I going to spend on it? Yeah. When I, when I was doing my own PPP stuff for, I got in the second round after they ran out of money, released more money, but you know, it, it took me like seven times to like figure out why the forgiveness form wasn't making sense to me. Um, and I had everything assisting me other than you know, an accounting department. Right. Um, I don't know, you know, yeah, who to talk to when I do get stuck because, yeah, my bank was like, mm, it's all online. <laughs> we don't have any answers for you. Yeah, there's been no no service whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so moral yeah. of the story, like, if you don't, you might be eligible for this money. If you are, get in there, get it. The bigger companies are doing it. Do everything you can to, to make it happen. But also, you're not dumb <laughs> if, if you don't know how to do this or if you get dissuaded at any point during the application process. Even through literally going through the application, there were points where I was like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, I think it's that it's that weird thing where like, especially when it comes to money, we assume it's a lack of knowledge on our behalf. But like if you go to a website and don't know 
how to navigate it, we blame the user interface. We're like, this is terrible UI of this website. Mm -hmm. Like, I know how to use websites. Right. Only with money do we tend to blame ourselves. Yeah, it's uh, it's very frustrating. Anyway, that said, we have a wonderful interview for everybody today. Uh, Russ, you talked to Tala Ash, and uh, she is the first Muslim American superhero, I found out. And she's in... DC's Legends of Tomorrow, uh, which is on CW. Yeah, she's an actress. Uh, we started working together. Just I met her through Brass Taxes. You know, you kind of build these very honest, open conversations that happen once a year. And uh, yeah, I always enjoyed working with her. And you know, her her career has evolved. She's you know gotten more successful, but there's also you know those those natural ups and downs of an acting career. And she's just been in it for for a while. And yeah, so I, I thought she'd be an interesting person to to talk to just about how money and creativity have melded together and affected each other in her life and just how she thinks about this stuff. And yeah, it was a really enjoyable conversation. Yeah, I certainly enjoy listening. And uh, now we'll share it with all of you. Again, you're listening to Brass Taxes. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you need to get your taxes done and you have not worked with us before, you can use the code POD25 to get $25 off the fee. Uh, head to BrassTaxes.com for more on that. And uh, yeah, Tala Ash. Tala, what's the last thing you bought? The last thing I bought? Yeah. Probably some cat toys. So the cats are new. So they're the cats the... are new. The cats have have garnered all my attention, and they got this very deluxe cat tower. I think that's probably like the last big purchase I made, which you know was maybe like a hundred bucks for a cat cat apartment. It feels like some some current weird pandemic purchases are getting very research intensive but that sounds like a quick pull the trigger of i have oh no new... there was research there was a lot of research <laughs> i just i think because i didn't come from money i fundamentally have a bit of discomfort with spending money so mm -hmm. i think i justify that by doing a lot of research and making sure i'm getting not only sort of like the best thing but like the best deal you know mm -hmm. A question I wanted to ask you in in creative fields, um, or I guess maybe in a lot of different fields, but a, a lot of creative fields, and and for me as well, because all of my friends were in creative fields. When generally, as people make more money throughout their career, so does they move with their social circle, mm. and so that disparity is never as apparent as suddenly. Uh, you know, as it was for like most of, you know, me and my friends or probably you and your friends. It's like, because if you get a good gig, your income can change enormously overnight. And then that gig goes away and it goes, you know, it's like, yeah. so, you know, you can earn 200000 one year and then the next year you earn $20,000. And it's not like your life went off the rails. It was like, well, this we didn't get picked up. Yeah. 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 And I think that's a very unique situation, and so we're, we we tend to be more aware of that disparity. Um, you know, I I forget how long we've been working together, but can can you talk about maybe how that feels at different places? Can you can you 
talk a little bit about just of, of what your experience has been like? Yeah. How do you navigate those variations that are very common in your industry? Um, yeah, I mean, I've definitely been um, on both sides of, of that coin. Um, you know, in, in some ways, I think it's easier when you don't have money because, uh, you know, I, I would say for the most part, like it, at least in, in my profession, I'm, I'm, you know, my, especially my theater friends, like we're not millionaires. Like that's, that's not generally speaking what's happening. Um, so there's kind of an assumption. And certainly when I was younger, there was, um, a sense that we were kind of all on the same ish page, you know, and like, we are going to split the check. And there's not a question of like, are we not going to split the check? Um, and then, you know, I've been, I've been on a TV show for the past four years and that has financially changed my life. Um, and at the same time, like I mentioned, I don't come from money, so I don't have kind of a freewheeling attitude with money. Um, the way that some people do, just like a side story. Uh, we got picked up for another season this past week. And one of my castmates was like, are you going to buy yourself something? And I was like, that didn't even occur to me. Didn't even occur to me when, you know, I think he was talking about like, are you going to buy yourself like a Rolex? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not. Because I, I know so well what you just mentioned, which is that, you know, what happens after next year when, the money's got, you know, I, I don't, I don't have that particular thing in me. Um, so I'm weirdly still around people who have way more money than me and are, are operating in that place. Um, but yeah, it's, I would say that the thing that has changed the most for me is that, um, <laughs> This is going to make me sound like, oh, I'm such a good person. And it's not that at all. But I, I just care about a lot of causes and I never had money to help with those causes. So now I, I like made a deal with myself a few years ago where I was like, Hey, you can make donations and like not sweat it as much. So like when things come up during the year, like if this, you know, a GoFundMe for someone I don't know, or someone I do know, like, I, I feel like, well, I'm going to. I'm going to give money. I have the money to give and it's not going to hurt me. And I'm not going to be like, oof, at the end of the month, which is a, a gift, you know, and it's still, you know, I, I could still probably give way more, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, that is like one, one thing that, that feels very different for me, but, you know, still it, it is, it's sort of a tricky thing when I'm, you know, with my theater friends, I was doing a play last year during, during the pandemic that got shut down where I'm, I'm aware that, you know, I'm doing TV half the time of the year, like picking up this Starbucks bill for everybody is, is not a big deal for me financially. And yet you don't, you also don't want to assert your, I don't know, your, your finances in that way. So it, it does get, it does get a little bit tricky. Um, it does get a little bit tricky. And I, I think the thing that helps me is just that I, it still hasn't, I'm still not just freewheeling with it. And I hope I never am, you know, I hope I, I hope I never, the first thought 
that pops into my head isn't like, oh, when am I going to buy myself for the season pickup? You know, I, I have very like, sun, I, I still, you know, to this day, don't own anything. I don't own a car. I don't own a house. I don't own anything. I don't really have bills because I don't own anything. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I like still have my eye towards, you know, um, things that I think 20, 30 years ago, or certainly my parents' generation, you know, by in their thirties, they would have owned a house. They would have had a kid. They would, you know, I'm just like thinking, you know, contemplating cat palaces, you know? <laughs> so I'm going to invest in something here. Yeah, Get a yeah, small mortgage have, for a yeah, good there's cat no palace. investment here. So, I mean, I would still say I'm, I'm sort of, um, sort of like a, uh, you know, younger, younger mindset around, around money. If, if that makes sense, that's sort of a, a meandering answer to your, to your question. No, I, I think that's interesting. And I, I've, I've noticed it about actors who are successful and part of that success, just being able to like, to stay in the game long enough to have things start to work is, um, coming, coming to peace with the fact that it takes longer to get going than other professions. And therefore you need to take the early twenties money attitude yeah, longer. And I, I've, I've heard, I I've met very few people even doing this work. And I feel like I meet a lot of different, uh, financial backgrounds of people who are very freewheeling with money, who don't have a safety net if it all goes away. I think that's part of what's hard about trying to pursue creative life is that, you know, you just, you're not going to be tracking with the people from high school or other friends that went into different realms. And then even if things do start working, then you feel weird because yeah, like, and then you, again, you know, like you said, you're always aware that that, that almost inevitably will change, you know? Right. I, also right. Have, That's, a, I have a partner who's in the business, so I have a front row seat to what he's mm -hmm. going through, you know? So mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's good to kind of have that perspective of, changeability and in, inside of, I mean, it, it's also really, really frustrating and really hard if you are trying to make investments or if you're trying to, you know, build a life for yourself on, on a certain level, like it, it, it is frustrating for sure. And certainly in my twenties, there were years where, you know, it got scary. I mean, I, I think we were probably working together where, where you know, suddenly, you know, at a tax bill, like that audit that we went through together, like, oh my gosh, like this is a big deal for me. Like $2,000, like owing $2,000 is a big deal. Very big deal. You know? Yeah. And I, I think that that's one thing we talk about a lot when we're training new folks. I'm like, it's not the amount of money. It's the, uh, the impact that amount of money has on this person's life. Yes. Like you could tell someone they're getting a $400 refund and they could be devastated because they thought they were getting 2000 and that's how they were going to pay rent for two months. Yep. So what you just told them when you said you're getting a $400 refund is you don't have rent for the next two months. Um, yeah, I, I, I think one thing that's interesting about uh, actors and it, it is especially if you're in a couple because you can you can see that like this could this this could flip any number of ways at any moment and i think a lot of people in other careers tend to start to associate their 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 hourly or their day rate or their whatever with their own self esteem to think like i'm worth this now mm. 
And I think that switchableness for an actor is like, I'm not, I'm just getting paid this right now because in this context, I'm worth this right now. But if I go do like, I could do a, a no budget non-union theater gig and now I'm making $50 a performance yeah. or nothing a performance, or I'm paying to be on stage yeah. so I can produce my own thing. Um, and yeah, is there, could you talk a little bit about that? Cause I feel like when you do get paid more, you do something about your, I think your potential paydays can change where you're like, Oh, I, this can make sense for this makes sense for me to get paid this in this context. So in future contexts like this, I can ask for this or more. It's tricky with television because because I'm an actor that does theater and television and the disparity in wages is so extreme. Um, when I, when I look at what you get paid, even at scale, when you're doing film, it's so, like, at, speaking of the hourly, it's so, so much absurdly more than, than when you're doing theater. That said, um, I actually had the experience this past year I hope I'm not allowed to talk about this, but yeah, you know what I'm talking about this. Um, where, you know, I'd been working on this television show for three years and getting paid what I'd been getting paid. And I looked around me at what the people around me were getting paid. And I looked at how much I'm working. And I had been working, especially in that third season, a lot. I had been playing like two characters on my show. And you know, with the encouragement of like sort of good representation and, and you know, ma my manager and lawyer, they were like, that's what you're getting paid actually isn't okay. Which to me, I'm like, oh my God, this is more than I've ever made. Like, just don't, don't rock the boat. And, <laughs> and they're like, but the people around you are getting paid a lot more. So it was, it was an interesting navigation of, um, you know, it's all relative, right. But in, in the situation I was in, it, it, I believe did make sense for me to ask for better compensation. Um, and, you know, we sort of get into a world of like what it is to be a woman, what men are getting paid versus women, what people of color are getting paid versus uh, white people. Like, and, and that is certainly like commingled in that and, and um, was definitely sort of part of my thought around it looking around. <laughs> Just against the other people who are getting paid much, much more. Um, but yeah, that was, that was sort of like the first time in my life, actually, where I've gone to my employer and said, like, I think you should pay me more, you know, um, even though you're paying me a lot relative to theater, you know? I think the interesting transformation there or transition is to a feeling of empowerment. And I, I think what all the entertainment pay discussion is it's, it's about is about you are asking for like like equity in payment totally. as opposed to like it's not a i'm not getting paid enough yeah it's like well i'm i'm eating obviously but it's it's an issue of like you're taking a bigger cut of my pie than his pie yes. um and why? like how much of that has to do with the fact that I am a woman. I am a woman of color. You know, like that stuff. Yeah. Like I, 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 I don't want to always um, sort of be suspicious in that way, if that makes sense. And yet, it's a reality. You know, mm -hmm. and and the numbers kind of speak for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. 
that kind of thing just like slowly kind of eats away at your sense of purpose here that yeah. you're like, Hey, I, I really just want to be acting. Yes. Like that's yeah, what I actually, want to be focused on. Yeah, I don't on. want to be thinking about this. And yet, <laughs> yes. speaking to what you just said, it does eat away at you to, and to a point where, you know, if you're, you're fortunate enough to be in the position to, to be able to ask, um, and not lose your job. Uh, that's, that's where I, that's where I was at, where I was like, I need to ask because I, I actually don't, not that, I mean, we're kind of coming full circle. It's like, not that money should equal value and it, it shouldn't determine my self-worth and it doesn't. And yet I want, I, I know on a certain level, the amount you pay me does have meaning for you, you, my employer and what you, what you pay me uh, does kind of reflect my worth to you, if that makes sense. So pay me more. You know, like if, if, if you value me, pay me more, you know, yeah, I feel like and, and see, see my contributions and see the work I'm putting in happily. I love acting. I love to work every day, actually. Like it's, it's not about that. It's not like, oh, I don't want to be working. I love working. Uh, I, I just, that compensation that, that you just, you do want to feel valued. And like, we're in a society where money, money is a lot of that, you know, there, you know, it's nice to get an email that says good job. That's lovely. But at a certain point, you're like, um, put your money where your mouth is, that, that old saying. What, what I always really like is that, that empowerment of, you know, you were, conf, you were probably confident you weren't going to lose your job. But once there's an understanding of I have value and if I were to lose this job, I don't know what yet, but something else will happen. Mm -hmm. It's just... I just feel like there's been such an erosion of employee and worker empowerment into an attitude of like, take what we offer you and be grateful. And like, it's, it's so messed up and it's so, it's been so systematic to create that feeling. Yeah. And again, I, not, not to make it gendered, but I do think with women, particularly we, you know, in, in many aspects of our lives are, are it, you know, we've been told or have intuited that like, just, just be nice, just smile and like, be like, don't be a problem. Don't be the bitch. Like, just be easy to work. You know, all of, all of that stuff, of course, naturally is reflected in, you know, pay disparity and, 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 and having these conversations when, you know, I look at some of the men I work with and I'm like, wow, it's just such a different, their, their way of moving through the world, not just financially, but in, with everything is just, there's, there's such a greater sense of empowerment and, and it, and it is uncomfortable to a certain degree, but also like, I personally feel like, you know what, I'm going to try to assert myself a little bit more in that arena, even though it's uncomfortable, even though, you know, at, at the end of the night, I'm like, Ooh, does everybody hate me? Like, you know, all of those, those things that we, you know, have as women particularly. Um, but there is, a, there is a little bit of a, you know, in, in this situation I'm talking about and, and sort of other situations that are popping up in my head, I have reached a point where I'm like, you know what, actually, if I do lose this job, it's okay. And I am at peace with that. If, if it means expressing this thing and uh, sort of asserting my power to, to a certain degree. Yeah, I, I love that idea that 
Like if I lose a job asking for equitable pay in the environment I'm in, I'm okay with yeah. that. Namaste. Bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good deal. Yeah. Good good luck with you. Yeah. If brass taxes went away, like, you know, I wouldn't have a month, but like, yeah, in in a year and a half, I'd be out of savings and need to figure something out. Yeah. I just think it's so interesting this being not good enough, but um, like I'm good. That sense of, because I think actually when I think about money, for me, that that would be the goal because I do like money has this allure and this, you know, if you, if you didn't have money, but even maybe if you grew up with money, like the kind of like more, more, more thing I think can, uh, really take over on a certain level. And I mean, I think it does come back to like empowerment on a certain level, like, um, you know, if, that thing you're saying like you, that you, you wouldn't be like kicked out of house and home in a month, but you know, you have, you have a little bit of savings and that you have faith in like who you are that like, you'll figure it out. Like, I think I have that too, even, and and not even necessarily like, Oh, I'm definitely going to get another acting job because I definitely have insecurities around that. But I do know that I have, you know, I, I, like I worked in a, law firm for 10 years in New York City, like while I was acting. And I was really, really lucky that, you know, they were flexible. And I actually did like accounting stuff, you know, and um, it wasn't a lot of money, but like it kept me afloat. And there is some, I have some solace, like to this day in the back of my mind, where I think, you know what, if every if I never like work another acting job in my life, I will find a way to make money. Like I, it, and it won't, it doesn't need to be a lot, but I will, you know, my partner, he has a very different thing where he's like, I don't want to do anything that's not acting. So I can't wrap my head around that. And I'm like, no, I have, I like, I am very okay with doing other things, you know? And I mean, I, I can kind of say that more easily when I'm not, Again, I don't have that mortgage. I don't have kids, you know, whatever. But um, I think there's some sense of empowerment which comes from certainly like saving a certain amount of money that gives you a buffer and then knowing that you personally will figure it out. And I and I recognize that saying that, like I'm saying that from a position of privilege and um, there are people obviously who come from situations that where like the, the chips are stacked against them. But I think if, if, if you can kind of reach that, I think that's like the goal, at least for me, like, I, because, you know, again, when I think about my, like <laughs> my more sort of rich, fancy Hollywood uh, castmates there, when they're talking about like, fuck you money or like money the, the I never need to work again money they're talking about millions and millions and millions of dollars you know which I think if that's your goal like probably it's not gonna happen so you're gonna be unhappy you know uh chasing this thing where it's like oh I just gotta get on how I met your mother like some whatever for for 10 years and then I'm set like that kind of like then I'm set thing I think is another one of these sort of fantasies that like capitalism feeds you of like, Oh, I'm set. Oh, I I hit that amount. I'm good now. You know, um, I'm 35 and I can retire. Like that is a fallacy. And I think it, I think it haunts us all a little bit. Whereas like, 
the sense of like, I have, I have a safety net and I have myself and I will figure it out. And that, that I think is like just more attainable, you know? Yeah. It's also, yeah. And it's in your control. Yeah. Whereas someone paying you a certain amount is. Yeah. It's kind of like being like, Ooh, I hope I win the lottery. Like, okay. Yeah. I hope you do too. But <laughs> as a business owner and like as a business that was doing well, I had to question the, it's hard to even question, should I grow and should I get bigger? Because it seems it's the default mm. of like, well, if there's more money out there, then God you damn it, it, take it, yeah. Russ. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think it just, it, it was hard to even determine. I'm like, things are fine now. Mm. Like it, it, it's hard to question the more and more and more. It feels, it, it feels like, like similar to, implicit racism or implicit bias or like it's it's so built in that like yeah you always need more money yeah um and i think that feeling of like we just want to earn enough money to never have to work again reminds me of like the vacation fantasy where like we think we just want to lay on a beach and do yes. nothing and then as soon as i'm doing it i'm i'm bored within like 20 minutes i'm like let's let's do something like let's play something let's you know i think it's this image of like we're so I think we're so tired from working. We imagine we just want to lay and do nothing. And we're so anxious and exhausted from chasing money that we think we just want to have so much money. We never have to think about it again. And then, yeah, I've definitely had, we just adjust our relationship to those things that probably aren't the the problem. Yeah. We're flipping between like all and nothing thinking. Like we generally just exist in a feeling like I never have enough money to like, I just need all the money so I can stop. Um, but I, I come from a place where like if I did run out of money, which I don't I don't think I think happened, you know, I had I had somewhere to go. I just didn't want to go that like yes. I just didn't want to ask like I wasn't without safety nets. I just had kind of been raised to like not lean on them or use them. But that's a very different experience of versus like literally having nowhere to turn. Yeah. Um or knowing that like I was talking to a friend the other day who's talking about their partner who comes from a lot of money. And he said, when she tries to earn money, you know, she's an artist, her parents are like, Oh, that's cute. Because it will never be in like the stratosphere of, of what they have and what she has. That's interesting. I mean, you know, again, everybody has a different relationship with it, even at that point, but yeah. And, and even, even what, what is significant? Like if you come from a lot of money and you know, that your friend who's an artist, like she makes, she sells some paintings and it's like, Oh great. You made $5,000, you know, to, you know, that's the kind of thing, like just being on our end of things at, at the company, like, you know, we have to remind people that like, Hey, that's a big deal. Like, you know, like you sold $5,000 worth of paintings. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like the paint is not worth that much. (laughs) It's your brain and skill. Um, but yeah, like that it could get minimized so, so dramatically by your, anybody, by your family, by your tax person, by whoever, who's just like, Oh, that's cute. Did you live on that $5,000? You know? Yeah. And just to make it seem like a trifle and, just the idea that it was like you got paid for doing the thing that you love doing. Yeah. And to just kind of slow down and be like, yeah, who who cares if you're working at Starbucks right now? Like like, you know, you're you're a pain you're a paid painter. 
yeah. like you're selling. Um, and uh, yeah. Which is like a whole other conversation of like, you know, what it is to put dollar amounts on art, you know, mm -hmm. like it's, that's, and 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 the, and the trickiness that comes with that of of mixing art and commerce, you know, but but that it's so significant. It's like you're, I, I've always said, like if you are a working actor, but you know, insert whatever artist thing, you know, freelancer thing you want to put in there. If you are a working actor, like you made it, like that. That's like that's significant. I feel like culturally, because of some of the things we're discussing we only seem to value the upper, upper echelon of these fields. Yeah. Like, and it's such a small percentage that it's like, you know, the same thing comes up in like economic discussions. We're like, well, don't tax people too much because what's going to motivate Mark Zuckerberg to keep working? And it was like, <laughs> and it's always this thing where you can always pull the exceptionalism. Mm. Like, like, you know, like, we're not racist. Look at that one guy. Yeah. And it was like, you can always point at an example of that is against the rule, but it's like, no, these, these things hold true. Like you're in general and you're not, not an actor or not successful unless you're in this echelon that is like, I feel like people, it's very difficult to see that. Like there's a vast difference between like someone on a network show and like, Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt. It's like that, that vastness is kind of unfathomable when you're like that much farther below. Mm -hmm. You're just like, you're on TV. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and again, it's like no reflection on the art itself. Art and commerce are just really, really tricky bedfellows. And, and inherently, if you want to be an artist, you, you, of course you want to be compensated for your work, but art is, as you say, unless it's at the highest echelons where it's like, oh, look, Ma, I'm on TV, or look, there's my face on a poster, you know, I'm Tom Cruise. It, like, culturally, you know, not, we don't give value to it in this country. Like, I have a friend um, who's French, and he went to, like, a clowning school in France for two years, you know, very famous, but, like, and it has a lot, like, I shouldn't even, like, the fact that I just laughed now speaks to my Americanness because yeah. the, the, like it's, it has a lot of clout to the school it's called Lecoq. And, you know, he has a bunch of European friends and they, they work and they create, you know, theater and puppet shows and one man, show, you know, they, they create art. Whatever you think about that art, they're creating it. And in their countries, like their countries subsidize their lives because art has a value in those countries. And how right. do they show that value by putting money behind it? Because money does matter in, in that uh, situation. And in this country, like we don't, I mean, this pandemic has been very sad and like jarring in, in this sense that we, how, like how little this country cares about its artists. Like the entire theater world is out of work right now and there is no help for them. Like, they are, I, you know, I have friends in, in, in the industry that are barely scraping by and like asking for like, can I, you know, I don't even qualify for uh, unemployment at this point because it's been so long. I'm losing my health insurance from our, you know, our unions, uh, like they're drowning and thus taking away from their members. Like it is, it is a sy systemic problem. And I think it, 
it comes from the root of like, we love actually to consume art in this country, especially at like the high echelon points, right? Where everybody's just watching Netflix all day now, you know, and yet we don't want to support our artists. And that is just a very, that's a hard like pill to swallow. Yeah. It just feels like we live in a world without safety nets and we don't, you know, when things are going good, they're not necessary. And then when things happen, they're, they're not in place. Um, yeah. And now we're just making stuff up. Like they, we keep randomly passing, like here's $2,000. Yeah. Like one thing I've, I've noticed, and maybe you could talk through it is like, you know, very often in, in using an actor's life as an example, like they start with like non-union 1099 jobs and those pose their own challenges. Um, and then, um, you know, and then they tend to get in the union stuff moves to W2 and then tax changes happen either, or we're making like financial planning decisions. A, a lot of the way I interpret it, just having come at this work from an outsider uh, view is is that the numbers are just a like tell a story can can you kind of walk through maybe some of those different decision making points when you realize like oh this is happening and i have to adjust to it because i think a lot of this stuff we get in a fixed mindset of like either i understand money or i don't understand money yeah. as opposed to just treating it as like this is a moving target because things are changing laws are changing incomes are changing the way i'm paid is changing um, I mean, the journey that you described is, is pretty much on point for, for what I went through. Um, when you know, we were working together, which I think was primarily kind of my W-2, what we were calling like my W-2 period, you know, I think there were some 1099s in there, but primarily probably W-2s. Um, that was a time where I, I felt like I had a real sense of my finances. And I, I sort of have some financial literacy anyways, but um, because I also had, you know, had to compile my reimbursable expenses, which you still can't write off right now after the tax, after the Trump tax. Right. Expense, yeah. You can on a federal level. You can on state. Insane. You can't do itemized. Right now you can't for a federal level for unreimbursed employee expenses. So yeah, every actors are getting screwed on managers, agents, lawyers, uh, travel if you have to do that for a W-2 job. So that's why we incorporated a lot of people. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think if I hadn't incorporated at that point, I certainly would have then. But I guess, you know, during that time, what was nice about it was, again, I, I kind of had a, I had a nice scope of what my finances, like microfinances were. I just sort of like understood more about the, the process. And, and I remember you like letting me in on like, this is what we're doing here. And this is how, you know, um, so, so I, I personally liked that. I like, I like to kind of know what's going on with my money. You know, there's a lot of actors who, you know, they get on a TV show and they get a business manager and suddenly they're paying that business manager 5% a year. And that is, and you know, they're basically, basically that person is like their parent and gives them like an allowance every month. And, you know, Oh, hi, Jim. Like, I want to buy a car. Can I buy a car? Is that okay? Is this or not? You know, and I just don't want to ever do that. Um, so I, I mean, I did connect to, uh, an accountant essentially that, that specialized in, um, 
specifically like the Canadian tax thing, you know, and like, because they take 23% here, but we get half of it back, but then we still have to pay our American taxes. And that's sort of actually the extent of my understanding about, um, what happens now. And, you know, honestly, I sort of, I sort of miss, uh, the old way of like, you know, not that I, could do my taxes, but I, I, I was closer to kind of being able to do it myself, uh, prior to, um, being, uh, a corporation. And now it does feel a little bit out of, out of my hands and a little bit more mysterious, um, because of the, the complexity of it, you know, that, that, um, you know, I literally had to get someone who like specializes in like, how do we make this work? Um, yeah. Yeah. You're a corporation with international tax yeah. issues, which is just insane because you're like, I'm an actor on a show. I say lines that other people write that are not my like, words. And I happen, you know, I happen to be working in Vancouver because that's where the yeah. work is, you know, yeah. um, shrug. But like, uh, so suddenly I'm like, I have a Canadian, I also have like a Canadian tax person. Mm -hmm. You're paying a Canadian tax person <laughs> for whatever it is that they're doing, which now I just, yeah, I mean... I, I sort of don't have the time to get into it too, too much. Um, but I do wish I, I knew kind of a little bit more. That said, I, I still, you know, I'm, I'm controlling, I'm controlling my own spending. I don't have much spending and um, I, I don't ever really want to be um, paying someone to tell me whether I can afford to buy X, you know? That's a lot of trust in that yeah. person. Yeah, like, and, and I think that's why people you know, yourself included, like understanding what's going on because that, that lowers the stress level overall. Cause you're like, okay, cool. I, I get the gist and that's enough for me to feel comfortable. Whereas yeah, getting into a world of corporations, it's like, this is a whole, this set of rules is just much more like opaque and it's yeah. just, it's just non-human like machinations of money created to, you know, protect wealth or avoid liability. Right. All and of it, that. And it, but it sucks it's, because, you know, I, I feel like it just, it feeds into this, this myth that actors, artists, you know, they don't understand money. They're not good with mm -hmm. money. So like they can't figure out it's, you know, it's, it's over their heads and it's like, no, I, I like, yeah, I, I wish that wasn't the case. Cause I, 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 I do think like demystifying it is mm -hmm. important. Can you, you 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 went through an audit, which I described to everyone, and you can tell me if this is how you feel about it, as going through an audit is the government saying, show me how you got all these numbers. Mm. It's not like you're in trouble. Mm. It's just like they assign you a research paper. And depending on how good your uh, expenses are organized determines how annoying the research paper is. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about your experience of just being a creative person who had to go through that process? Yeah. So I, uh, I always called it a soft audit because it wasn't a federal audit. It was an audit by mm -hmm. New York, New York state. Mm -hmm. Um, I love a research paper. So I sort of, I mean, it was, I have to say it was incredibly, incredibly, incredibly stressful and it, it, it took a lot of work, you know, my sort of personal hourly rate was very low at that time. So it was like, fine. But the amount of time that I spent assembling and like creating basically a, a report for Janet or whoever my contact was over at New York state uh, taxation department, um, 
was pretty crazy. And, and, you know, this, this was a time when you could do itemized deductions. So things like going, like I was writing off, um, you know, going to the movie theater, like that is considered like research as part of the work that I do, but you have to keep a log. So it's like, Oh, I went and saw, you know, little miss sunshine and I really enjoyed the camera work and the cinematography, you know, like you, you kind of create like a little log for yourself. So then I'm sending Janet this like logs of, of my thing along with stubs. And I did kind of say, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to kind of overwhelm them <laughs> with the amount of stuff that I sent. And if you recall, like it was, I think it was like 30, 40 pages that I sent of receipts and everything. And luckily I had kept the receipts or like if I took a cab to an audition, I would like write the time and place. And then I think, and you help me remember, cause it's, it's been a long time, but, um, I, I think when I sent my initial batch, they, they even asked for more information. So then I had to send emails from like, I sent emails where like I had an audition on this day time stamped. Mm -hmm. I had to get my agent and manager to write letters that are like, hi, mm -hmm. I'm your agent. I, I take 10% of this person's income. Like she shouldn't have to pay taxes on that. Like it, it was really involved and it took a long time. You were really, really helpful with it. Um, not just in like kind of telling me what I need to do, but I, I, I felt like you probably said some version of what you just said uh, now, which is like, you're not in trouble. Cause of course I'm also just like, you know, a good student. I'm like, wait, how am I like, what's going to happen to me? And oh my gosh, how much money am I going to owe? And I still did. I still did. owe. uh, I still owed money. Like they didn't accept everything that I gave, but I do, I do think like my thoroughness helped um, bring, bring the bill down essentially. Yeah. I always describe it as like, you're trying to bury them in paper mm -hmm. and show like, Hey, if you want to see how these numbers, where they came from, like, here's all of it. Yeah. If you want to disagree with something you can. And so at some point in an audit, it generally comes down to, they want to disagree with this. You can either disagree with their disagreement or just pay them that amount of money. And so disagreeing with their disagreeing is, is like, just go to tax court and just put it to a judge and be like, look, this is why I included right. this. And, but often it's a negotiation of like, Hey, yeah, how far so do you want to take this benefit analysis of like yeah. how much time you spend? Yeah. And, and it's it very impersonal too. It's not like I got to like call up Janet and be like, Janet, right. Come on. <laughs> Janet, look at me. I'm trying my best here. I am barely getting by Janet. Help me out. Janet, I'm sitting on the floor while we're talking right now. Um, I, I found also part of the challenge is you're communicating with someone who doesn't have a good sense of your career or what your job is. So I found the bigger challenge is explaining, you know, just, just getting an agent to be like, this is my manager and agent. And they're like, like what, what is how much, saying? yeah, how much, yeah. It is crazy. Like I understand on the other side when they see the numbers, like, wait, what the, the amount of deductions they have, they're like, that's right. crazy. You're a, an artist and B you're incurring this much cost to be an artist as a W2 employee. Yes. And like, that's yeah. insane. Surely yeah. that's incorrect. And you're trying to scan the system and it's like, no, no, yeah. <laughs> the system, no, is the system, me. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is, this is how it's been set up actually. And yeah. it, it is, it is hard 
it's, it's very hard to explain and, and help them understand. And actually, like, I think that goes on. Like I have friends now who are artists who are trying to get mortgages and they have sort of, you know, quote unquote, non-traditional jobs and non-traditional mm-hmm. sources of income and they can't get a bank to give them a mortgage. You know, it's yeah. this, I think this problem kind of goes on and on and into your adulthood. Yeah. I always found it very difficult to get an apartment. I would always just yeah. come and be like, look, here's my bank account. Yeah. Like I, you're not going to believe my, my income uh, because it's self-reporting basically. It's so hard in New York, of course. I feel like everybody feels really strange when it comes to this stuff, but yeah, we just don't talk about it. Yeah. I'm, yeah no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you've started this. I think it's, they're like very, very worthy conversations to have. Cool. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. It was nice to to see you again. Yeah. Yeah. Take care and uh, we'll be in touch. All right. Have a good day. That's our show for this week. I'm Caroline Craighead. This is Brass Taxes. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to our guest, Tala Ash. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss next week's episode when we talk to Team USA athlete and transgender advocate, Chris Mosier. You don't want to miss that one. Uh, If you're enjoying the podcast, go ahead and rate it, review it, and uh, yeah, share it with your friends. Thank you so much again, and we'll see you next time.